Well, hello. Um, we're coming at you, like Cleopatra, <laughs> with uh, a little mini mini-sode, uh, one of those ones that we do. Um, and we decided this time that we would talk about the depths of cinematic possibility, um, and the uh, you know how how bad things can get um, when things go terribly terribly wrong on a film set. Um, and this is you know a simple question I will I will pose to Ed. Um, what's the worst film you've ever seen? Uh, well, I think it's uh, it's not as straightforward a question as it might first seem because I think you need to qualify. What makes a film bad? Answer the question. No, <laughs> I'm going to evade. Like I'm in a uh, house for an American Activities Commission. <laughs> okay, Ed just put his hand over the mic and <laughs> took advantage. Uh, took uh, advice from his legal counsel. Yeah, because uh, I think you know, there's you know, if you're going to talk about, there, there's lots of things that can. Uh, determine if a film is terrible um this is terrible beyond just opinion yeah exactly there's there's certain objective things like craft if a film is very poorly made if it looks like shit Mm -hmm. um if the acting is terrible i mean there's there's something to be said for perform different styles of acting but then there's you know there's acting that's genuinely terrible Mm -hmm. uh in that regard i think probably a strong contender would be something like hercules in new york but why? What is Hercules in New York? Hercules in New York is uh, renowned for being one of the early appearances of uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger alongside Pumping Iron, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Cactus Jack. I don't know if you've seen that one. No, he I've shares the screen one. with uh, Kirk Douglas and plays a character called Handsome Stranger. Wow. I know he's in uh, Robert Altman's Long Goodbye. As Still the best film he's ever been <laughs> As, I think, Heavy. Mm-hmm. I know at one point he's in his Typecast, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he plays Hercules, who is uh, expelled from Mount Olympus and winds up in New York. Mm-hmm. where there's With an Austrian accent. With an Austrian accent. Although originally, when he was billed as Arnold Strong in the original Why release. didn't he keep that name? <laughs> and how did they come up with that name for him? I have no idea. I don't know. Something, something about his uh, forceful personality. Mm, yeah. Um, he was... Uh, he He's ends up in new york there's a lot of culture clash uh and initially also he was dubbed but subsequent release of the film have retained his monosyllabic teutonic uh, yes drawl. uh his uh so, they've maintained his uh inherent stoicism mm-hmm. um and it is it's just it's it's an awful it looks you know like it was made by someone who was handed a camera having never seen a film mm-hmm. explained the basic concepts um the action <laughs> that occurs whenever he gets into fights, which happens pretty much any time. He and he, he takes appears. his shirt off an awful lot, doesn't he? Yeah. I mean, more so than Taylor Lautner. Uh, it's on a par. It's on, it's on a par with Lautner. Um, but, I mean, that film um, was, uh, you know, cashing on his fame. Um, and, you know, as kind Mr. Of, Universe. As Mr. Universe, as he was at the time. Um I mean, he's he's back now, isn't he? Arnold Schwarzenegger, like back for good. Mm. Now he's is he? He's not governor anymore, is he? No, he's he's uh, he's no longer governor. Of, Was he uh, voted out? Is that how it works, or did he just not run? Uh, I think he. Or did you get lost... two terms? I'd, I'd, you don't get just two terms for governor. It's not like president. You can just keep going, going and going. And going. Uh, he did not win the uh, last election in which. Who he did he lose to? Uh, I'm not sure actually. No one f- famous for 
you know, no one of a, an 80s action music. It's a real there. shame that Mark Dacascus or something didn't win. <laughs> um, but Hercules in New York is, you know, no one set out to make a great work of art there. No. Um, but it was um, probably made as a kind of cash-in on someone at the start of their fame. Um, I think the worst film, and it was, it was, I'm not sure if it's still my worst film I've ever seen, um, but it was definitely there for a long time. Uh, is a film made for slightly different reasons. It was a cash-in on two people at the very end of their fame, um, if you can call it fame, infamy maybe. Um, it's a film called Scuba School, which is the title in, in the UK title, but the American title is um, the National Lampoon's Last Resort. Uh, let's have a look at the trailer. Here we go. National Lampoon presents A Quest for the Meaning of Life. Sam. Oh, baby, you look so good. And Dave. Listen, man, you gotta surf the edges if you wanna win. Are having an identity crisis. In a circus? Yeah, yeah. You know what your problems think? The problem is that you've had too much material. Look, this chick is not real, okay? Of course she's not real. None of my chicks are real. They're stuck. Oh, we evicted. They're out of business. We quit. We quit. Quit! No problem. My Uncle Rex wants us to come to his place, which is Treasure Island. They're on their way to another dimension. Uh -oh. Ta -da. A killer vacation. We're going to have uh, great fun, big, fat fun. On Uncle Rex's Treasure Island. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I mentioned that I don't wear any underwear. A world of paradise, complete with the hottest babes. The meanest villain. Come down, this one here is the one they call Sam. Ooh, he's cute. And this is the other one, boys. I want to pick a great of them. Oh, God. Everybody says there's a treasure, but no one knows for sure. Well, see, that's why we're going. See, I want to save the school and the island. I want to save it for you and for good old Uncle Rex. If they can find the buried treasure without digging themselves into a hole... Don't blow it. Treasure Island. We have walked by this place every day for the last week, and I have not once noticed a sign. They can save paradise. Three million dollars! From being lost forever. Vidmark presents Corey Feldman. Oh, that was nice. Corey Hayes. <laughs> do this. we got to look for this treasure, because if we don't look for the treasure, he's going to make us walk this way. Walk the flank. Oh, Sam, man, that's movie stuff. Dave, this is a movie. In National Lampoon's Last Resort. So what do you think of that, Ed? Uh, I think you are underestimating it. I think it's a uh, metatextual masterpiece. For Although those... self-aware humor at the moment when they admit that it's a movie... Mm -hmm. um, I think I, I really think you are uh, being too harsh mm. on the Corys. Well, yes, for those of you who haven't been lucky enough to see the trailer with your own eyes, but it's on YouTube, uh, dig it out. Um, it is a film made uh, with uh, Corys, Feldman and Haim, mm -hmm. um, at the very height of their drugs <laughs> um, binge and kind of exclusion from the Hollywood mainstream. Um, and it's really a horrible film. I mean, like... Um, 
Corey Feldman never takes his sunglasses off at any point during the film. Um, and I predict it's probably so you can't see how big his fucking pupils are. Um, but it's a real horror. You can see they're really just laboring through it. It's, uh, it looks like it cost about 50p to make. Um, it's a really shit story about, um, they work in a burger joint, but they burn it down and they end up having to go to, I think it's either Hames or Feldman's uncle runs a kind of, uh, pirate themed Island resort. And they go there to try and save it um, because it's under threat by real pirates. <laughs> and um, this sounds like the best one of all time, <laughs> but trust me, it is, it is a long, joyless affair. But they have to look for buried treasure, and there's just many excuses to get kind of like you know bikini-clad women in it uh, for no reason whatsoever. And they kind of lure it. And there's a bit as well that I remember. Um, it's the only bit that really sticks in my head. Um, that uh, they're being chased by a pirate, and I think. Corey Feldman falls down and then makes a crucifix with his fingers and Corey Haim says, uh, no, 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 that, you tried that in Lost Boys. <laughs> and then they run on. And it's just, it's just bafflingly bad. Uh, just a horrible, horrible, horrible film. And I rented it um, just after leaving uni and there was about six of us went down to uh, my local video shop and we saw it and we rented it and after about five minutes everyone else in the room said, let's turn this off. But because I'd chosen it, and because I really think you should see things through to the bitter end, yeah. I refused. <laughs> and we had to watch all... It felt like 180 minutes of uh, mirthless uh, emptiness. It was horrible. And, um, yeah, I still haven't quite recovered. It was the, it was the worst film that I'd seen um, ever for a very, very long time until I saw a Greek horror film, a... Uh, well, Hazar, a found footage film, we love those, um, called uh, Subconscious, which I saw at the Sheffield Horror Festival, which is nothing against the festival because it's a good do, uh, run by nice people. Um, but the, uh, the director and the star came along and they tried to make loads of jokes. The room was half empty. It was really depressing. And then the film started. I was really excited because it was the first kind of film festival I'd ever been to on a kind of press pass. And I got there and we watched it and it was basically 90 odd minutes of just boring footage of like windscreen wipers and a sex scene crew crowbarred in. It was confusing. It didn't make any sense. It was rubbish. Absolutely terrible. There was like a really key part of it. I think I mentioned this before. It was a really key revelation, but it was revealed with someone talking to themselves whilst the camera was pointing at their knuckle. <laughs> it, was just, it was just idiotic it was like just an accident of a film it was horrible and i've never seen a screening room deserted so quickly <laughs> after it finished but horror doesn't really let it lends itself very well to bad filmmaking doesn't it yeah and uh, why is that well i think because uh horror is one of those genres that i think people mistakenly think that it is uh is easy to do mm -hmm. there's lots of people who try and make their start by making low budget horror films and you know some people do you know do really good work in horror or sci-fi um you know something like david cronenberg obviously is the, or a, a toby hooper or toby hooper yeah joe dante mm -hmm. you know they're people who they've got talent they've got talent yeah <laughs> yeah but 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 they know they they understand how to make things scary yeah whereas a lot of people assume that just if you put some jump scares in that uh that will make it that'll make it um easy to be scared. or if you know they go for you know the gruesome uh torture porny you know to break out uh 
overused phrase mm-hmm. uh, kind of thing that that will be scary whereas often what would happen is kind of like just makes it really unpleasant yeah um which is kind of uh a, those are kind of for me the worst among the worst kind of bad films or bad horror films because mm. if they're not scary and if they're just intended to be really unpleasant yeah because there's, there's a kind of horror film you know like edward's a good example of this you know a lot of his films were i guess horror films but they were not there but they've got a tremendous camp value you mm-hmm. know like plan nine from outer space a hoot <laughs> it's, it a, it's, it's a, a laugh riot of, it's a lot of fun to watch um but then if you watch uh something that's just you know really unpleasant and doesn't have any sort of redeeming camp value to it then you're just going to spend all your time there just kind of thinking oh i wish this was this was over mm. um same is also true of, I think, you know, comedy and horror both probably have that in common because uh, if a film doesn't scare you... It's dead in the water. Is, yeah. yeah, and if a comedy doesn't make you laugh, then it basically fails at the one thing it's meant to do. Mm. Whereas, ironically, a bad drama could make you laugh a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I saw a... Um, and the thing is, horror can be a sensationalist on the cover or whatever and draw you in and mm. be terrible. I remember once renting a film called... Uh, Head cheerleader, dead cheerleader, which had the a fantastic uh, title. It had the um, brilliant tagline uh, two four six eight. Who do we decapitate? <laughs> and um, had the the video cover was a load of uh, kind of sexy cheerleaders and a man's legs kind of uh, making a frame for them with a chainsaw hanging down <laughs> like a giant phallus. But the film featured no chainsaws um, and just a, a serial killer that would cut cheerleaders' tits off. And it was really horrible. It was shot on like a camcorder. Or like a mobile phone, maybe. Um, and it was terrible. But then at the end, it turned out the killers were gay lovers, and one was black and one was white. So it was a, it was a taboo buster. <laughs> all in one go. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, yeah, that was horrible. But um, uh, yeah, like you say, films, like you know, an unintentionally funny drama um, is... Um, Something like, uh, you know, the classic example would be like Mommy Dearest. Right. The film about uh, Joan Crawford starring... Um, Bonnie from Bonnie and Clyde. What's her name? Faye Dunaway. Faye Dunaway, starring Faye Dunaway, which is, um, you know, uh, was is, is has such a sort of iconic status as a camp classic that when it was re-released on DVD, John Waters was there. Like, mm-hmm. do it. He did the commentary, yeah. talking about the way in which this is this uh, great camp classic of a film that you know is not is not drama, but it is you know very entertaining. Uh, and I think that, you know, that's, that is better than, you know, something like something that's really, or maybe not better, but, you know, it's more rewarding an experience than watching a, uh, incredibly worthy, like, I don't know, uh, something like, uh, extremely loud and incredibly close, mm-hmm. which is just, just dull and saccharine and, and awful. Mm-hmm. And, uh, something like Braveheart as well springs to mind. Uh, that's a film in which, you know, is is it won a lot of Oscars. Mm. It was uh, Oscar bait, um, but a really poor film, a very very poor film, um, very difficult to take seriously, uh, quite stupid, mm. um, very like there is is a thin line between how po face and serious that is and Monty Python. <laughs> they really really could have gone down that route, and obviously it's I mean. A film, does a film, is it bad if a film is historically inaccurate if it's claiming to be historical document? 
not inherently if the story itself is interesting or mm. if it has something to say. Because Braveheart was pulled up for many historical inaccuracies, which yeah. in- included the fact that William Wallace was actually Welsh. Yes, or the fact that the, uh, as as was pointed out, has been pointed out many for many years by Lee and Herring, um, that the princess that William Wallace is supposedly meant to have had a child with was about two at yeah. the time of the events of the film. That's how Gibson rolls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can you describe the man that touched you? Well, he had a blue face <laughs> and a terrible Scottish accent. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah. Accents are a big one. They really do. They can really ruin films. Yeah, but they? I think there's there's also it's one of those things. Uh, you know, one of the the rules I kind of go by, uh, and this is kind of to relate to a film that we talk about often, Jaws. Mm-hmm. If the film is good, then these little things won't bother you. You know, it doesn't matter if the jaw, if the the shark looks terrible. You know, the rest of the film makes it, you know, so that you can enjoy it and, and not notice. Mm-hmm. Similarly, you know, if a film is like has got a really good script, it's really fun. You don't really care if someone's got a slightly wonky accent. Mm. It, it can distract, but it's more that's usually more of an indication of deeper problems with the film than the problem itself. Mm. Um, budget is no um, guarantee of quality, is it? Yeah, uh, you can throw money at the screen. Um, to a degree, um, and money can help solve problems that a film has. Um, but sometimes uh, the you know the biggest offenders are the ones with the biggest budgets. Mm. Um, what's your personal bet noir in this area? Uh, as two, did uh, I use bet noir correctly there? Yeah, yeah. Oh. But um, black black beast, mm. you know, like enemy, I guess. Yeah. Uh, the, the the two uh, for slightly different reasons. Uh, one would be M Night Shyamalan's. Uh, the Last Airbender. I haven't seen it. Um, you're not missing much. Mm. Um, it's a you know big budget adaptation, live action adaptation of the uh, Nickelodeon TV series, fantasy action adventure about a a world in which um, characters known as Benders, which is hard. It's, it's a hard thing. <laughs> it's hard. Said Benders. It is. It is hard to get past that. Right. <laughs> um, they have the ability to control certain. Uh, they have the ability to control the four elements, so there's the so fire, earth, wind, um, <laughs> water. Wind. <laughs> right, okay. Air, air yeah. would be, oh, okay, air. Air, air would be the correct one. Oh, airbender. Yes. He's not windbender. No. no. <laughs> um, and the whole plot is there's a, you know, a war that's been going on for, for 100 years, um, being waged by the fire nation, who are kind of the, the ones who... Uh, instigate everything and are trying to conquer everyone. Does the Billy Joel song play We Didn't Start the Fire? Uh, it should. It should. Sadly, <laughs> yeah. it doesn't. But also, it'd be inaccurate because they did start the fire. Oh, well, uh, that's the problem. Uh, and into this comes this sort of messianic figure who's the, the last airbander, who's the, the avatar who can control all four and restore balance to the world. Uh, the TV series is, is great. It's a really fun um, fantasy series. It's got lots of you know, it's 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 obviously aimed at young audience, but it's uh, got lots of terrific action. It's uh, got it's wonderfully influenced by uh, Eastern culture, particularly sort of the ver- various martial arts and and Buddhism. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's got you know great messages about you know the importance of you know wisdom over violence and things like that. None of that's in the film. Right. In the film, in the film, uh, it's all violence all the time. Um, 
Shout but like kid kid friendly violence though, right? Uh yeah, but still it's like it feels like a betrayal when all you're essentially saying is that all problems can be solved by violence rather mm. than through actually trying to use your brain to do achieve something. And we all know that is incorrect. It's actually most problems can be solved with violence, <laughs> exactly. not all problems. There are a few. Like a squeaky a squeaky door. A squeaky door can't no, be solved. No. Well you could break the door. You could do. You but could break the door, the door off its hinges. Yeah. Um and uh, also, they, there are there are little things in it, like for example, all of the uh, characters in the TV series are of um, some sort of uh, non-white ethnic persuasion. background <laughs> persuasion. <laughs> yeah. You know, like two of the main characters are uh, of the two main good characters are sort of Eskimo characters. Uh, the own, I believe it's Inuit. Ed. Inuit, well, sorry, Inuit or. Um, and like this, but there's a, a broad kind of spectrum in the film version. All the good characters are white, <laughs> right? Okay. And all of the bad characters are Indian. Uh, and the filmmaker's Indian. Yeah. What's he trying to say? <laughs> I don't know, but it's just kind of like it feels really uncomfortable. Um, and then so so there's all these things around it that you know uh, are are bad on some sort of thematic level, and then. Just uh, in terms of, you know, the actors are all terrible. I mean, some of them are kids, so it's kind of hard to mm. get that angry about them. But, you know, like... It's... Oh, I get really angry about fucking kid <laughs> actors. Can fuck off. The, the writing's, you know, really bad and on the nose. And also it removes pretty much all the humour that's in the TV series by making it all very po-faced and serious. And, and, you know, no amount of decent special effects can make up for the fact that it's, at heart, a pretty rotten movie. Are they going to, because uh, is it the potential to be more than one film? Is it, Are they going to yeah. actually do it? Because it didn't bomb, did it? It, it did, did it, right. it, 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 it didn't. It made its money back, surely. It made its money back, but it was so, like, vitriolically hated right. that uh, the studio basically kind of backed off. Right. Because I think they realised that if they were to plough more money into a second one, they wouldn't make it back. Right. Okay. Um, but it would have been a trilogy, because there were three series of the show each one relating to a different uh, element that the main character, Ang learns. Oh, that's another thing. Like, the characters' names in the film are pronounced incorrectly. Right. Even though the original series was in the English language, so they knew how they were meant to be pronounced, which just is really distracting. Um, but yeah, so, so that one, for me, is just one of the ones that, uh, just kind of gets me angry and how how badly they butchered what could have been you know it could have made for a really really good film mm. a really good uh action fantasy film and it's just absolute trash it's awful uh and then the other film in the similar vein it's one we've talked about before is uh transformers 2 oh, or yeah. transformers colon revenge of the colon <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that film is fucking awful. But again, I think that that it underlines the idea that a film doesn't necessarily have to be badly made in order to be terrible. Because, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of craft goes into the Transformers films. Um, Oscar winning, as you pointed out. I yeah, the, the, the sound effect editing and the special effects is normally, you know, it's very well regarded. I'm not going to say it's not impressive. Yeah, but the story's terrible, the acting's terrible... The, it's hard to care about it, what's going on because it's hard to tell what's going on. Mm, very difficult. It's just it's just dreadful um, and not fun, which yeah. should be kind of the basic 
requirement for a blockbuster for it to be for fun. a film. Yeah, or for a film, yeah. but you know, specifically for you know big summer blockbusters, it shouldn't be crash crushingly dull, and it shouldn't feature racist robots, racist caricatures like running around. Yeah, are the robots themselves? Well, I suppose they are kind of racist because they just hate the Decepticons, but. Um, yeah, it is another type of racism. But the the uh, twins themselves, the infamous oh, twins. God, they're not they're not really in the third one, are they? I don't think they're in it at all. Oh right, yeah, I didn't really kind of I kind of tuned out. They were, uh, they were. Um, if they were, I think they may have been recharacterized so that you couldn't tell it was them. They were whitewashed. Was, uh, was Shyamalan behind it? <laughs> he changed the ethnicity. Um, I'm gonna. Uh, I do like laying into um, Transformers too, but we've done it quite a lot on this mm, podcast. Yeah. So. Um, I won't kind of continue to kick it while it's down, but it's fucking shit. Um, but the film that does me in that regard is a film that is is derided, but I really don't think that it gets enough. Um, uh, kind of, uh, it doesn't. It doesn't. It really should be considered to be one of the worst films uh, of all time, uh, and that's um, a little film called The Phantom Menace, mm. or to give it its full title, Star Wars Episode One. The Phantom Menace, um, shit title, dreadful title, um, but that film, um, I think, should be regarded at, at the very least as one of the worst films of the nineteen nineties. Um, but it doesn't get held up that way. It's, it's it's held up as a as a disappointing entry in the Star Wars saga, but that's that the pain. only reason why it gets away with anything. If if there was no it was the, the Star Wars iconography and, um, you know, the Star Wars name and the lightsaber noise and the music is the only thing that people, you know, they they hear that and they think, it, you know, it's got to have some basic type of quality. It's got to be at least as good as Return of the Jedi. Whereas in reality, like the elements we were talking about, um, Transformers 2, the story, the script, the acting, the direction, everything is just awful mm. and i mean you know it's been pulled apart by many better people than i the red letter media uh, video dissection is something you really must see yeah um it is a um disemboweling of that film <laughs> um but it's um it, i why don't you think uh, or unless it's just for the reasons that i've said why don't you think that it it's um uh held up am i being harsh on it do you think it's it's um it's not as bad as i'm making it no it is it is as bad as all that is it the worst of the prequels? No, I think Attack of the Clones is worse. Wow. Because I think that one's just... Like, the first one, partly it's an aesthetic thing, because the first one uh, isn't all entirely on the green screen. Yeah. They did go to, like, Tunisia. And shot on film as well. Yes. So it has a it has a quality to it that feels closer to the original three films. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the time the second one is when... There's almost nothing real in it at all. Mm-hmm. You know, it gets all very Sky Captain. Yeah. Um, yeah, even less tangible than that film. Mm. And that film was made by, like, a guy in his bedroom, more or less. Um, I think it was made by a lady in her bedroom. Was it really? Sky, Sky Captain's Captain's a lady directed Oh, wow. Prove us wrong, but I believe a lady directed uh, Sky Captain. Okay. Um, but, but, you know, like, the... Uh, the, the yeah, Attack of the Clones is just so... Uh, it, it's like it's it's the worst because it's worse even knowing the disappointment of <laughs> Phantom Menace. 
like you went into Attack of the Clones kind of thinking, yeah, maybe the first one was just a misstep or, you know, after that, you know, this has got to, you know, at least be better because there's going to be, you know, a war, a war or mm-hmm. whatever in it. But there's none of that. Uh, obviously, you know, the Anakin character gets worse and worse. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's hard to see the Anakin character getting worse from that little fucking kid <laughs> from Phantom Menace. I mean, that's... I think that in many ways is, is you know, the worst thing about those films. The, the, the funny thing about it, and this is uh, repeating something from Red Letter Media, is that um, the Attack of the Clones essentially invalidates the Phantom Menace because it's been so long since you see Anakin. Like, he's introduced as a tiny kid and mm-hmm. then he's a grown-up. He might as well be a different character. Yeah, and he isn't, yeah. Yeah, he's you might, got the same name. You don't really need to have seen Phantom Menace to know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And you, it's not like, you know, Star Wars to Empire Strikes Back, you know, about the same amount of time has elapsed between films and within the films themselves. So they all, you feel like you're returning to these characters, whereas it's kind of like... The second time, the second time round, it's like you know, I don't know. Is it, it a? It's a different actor, but the way he acts is so. The way the character is written is so wildly different to the character from the first film that mm-hmm. it's hard to relate. Yeah. How did you feel when you went, when you saw it at the cinema? Oh, I saw Phantom Menace. Yeah. How old were you? Uh, well, that ninety nine. So I would have been twelve or thirteen. Well, I'd already seen it on a pirate video. <gasps> which my friend John Marafa brought round for me to watch. And wh- can, where is Marafa now? Is, is he in, <laughs> in is jail? He in, in clink? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, um, we're not. If you're listening, <laughs> get in contact. <laughs> um, it was just, and so I'd already heard it because the video was too dark to really see. Mm. Um, and so I kind of, I had, and I'd already read the novelization by Terry Brooks, who wow. was a, an author that I was a big fan of anyway. That was the main reason why I read it. Um, so I think I didn't hate it as much as I would come to because in my mind, what I'd heard, what I'd seen like on the video, uh, wasn't as bad as like seeing it in the screen where you could actually see how awful some of it looked. As a 12 year old, did you think it was bad? Uh, I didn't think it was very good. I don't, I don't think, I don't think I felt it was as bad as I now think it to be bad. Right. But like, it wasn't as... I, I don't think I was quite uh, as against it as uh, as I as I would become. Like the more I watched it, and the more aware I was. I was very excited for it because I mean I'm slightly too young, um, by about a decade to really be a kind of child of the Star Wars generation. Mm. I was two, I think, when Return of the Jedi came out. But I saw the films when I was a kid, and I was excited by it because the thing that they did so well was stir up so much star wars nostalgia starting with the re-releases in 97 yeah which was I, like, I went to those it was like a two-year marketing campaign to just for one film really yeah. i remember walking away from the film and and thinking um yeah okay all right and then i saw it on video uh you know like a year later or whatever and thought well yeah, I can kind of see what he was doing it don't really work maybe the next one will be better and then i remember watching it again before i watched um attack of the clones i was mm. like man this is bullshit this is terrible yeah, that was the thing it was like and yeah i've seen the film about seven times yeah it was it was very much the case that the first time the more you watch it the worse it gets because mm. the more things of it like a bad football injury on the telly <laughs> <Just> <laughs> every time you look at it oh no you, you see things like you know you realize that 
the character relationships don't really make much sense. Qui-Gon, the plot doesn't make sense. Yeah, Qui-Gon's not really of any interest, mm. uh, even though he's meant to be this sort of like wise thing. Uh, he makes lots and lots of stupid fucking decisions. Yeah, Obi-Wan's like not at all likable or even acts like the character that you would expect. You don't, It makes no sense for why he thinks so fondly of Anakin when he refers to him in like the original Star Wars. Mm. Um, and... Uh, you know, and then you get into that sort of stuff, like you know, midi chlorines, like trying to scientific scientifically explain something that doesn't exist in the first yeah, place. Magic. Um, yeah, there's, there's just loads of shitty things in that film. I mean, um, are the reasons why a film is made? Um, does that really set it up for a fall? Like, if a film's made with the best intentions, um, if it's bad, you can kind of forgive it. But if a film is a shameless um, cash grab, cash grab, or I mean. Um, we talked about Pixar a little bit before we started recording. The one film that sticks out in there, Pixar's oeuvre, Cars 2, it sticks out because, A, it's the worst film they've done, I think. I mean, that's I think that's pretty fair to say. Um, it's, but it's, not a, it's not a, uh, a bold and <laughs> new thing for anyone to say. No. Um, <laughs> yeah. Don't tune in for cutting edge. <laughs> um, but it felt like a film made for the wrong reason. It didn't mm. feel like a project born out of love or, you know, affection or even an I- a good idea. Mm. It felt like a very lazy sequel. Designed to sell toys. Exactly that. Which is pretty much more or less, I, I don't know if they've out and out said it, but that's pretty much what everyone agrees the film is is like the original cars wasn't the most financially successful of pixar's films when you look at like what it made in the cinema but if you look at the amount of toys it sold Mm -hmm. you know the characters in that are comparable or perhaps even uh superior to you know woody and buzz as far as uh revenue generating toys Mm. and that's why cars 2 exists is so that they could create new characters and for which toys could be based on Mm. and as such it's kind of hard to forgive it for being bad (laughs) yeah and do you think that's all because of the deal with disney that you know they will if pixar don't want to do a sequel to it then disney damn right will and they can't guarantee its quality yeah but i also think it's kind of maybe also there's some sort of corporate dealings where it's a a trade-off which is that they get to make Something like, uh, you know, an up or a Toy Story three. Well, you know, Toy Story three is like a, a a great sequel, but again, they wrestled it from Disney trying to make it as like a, a direct to DVD thing. Mm-hmm. Um, or I mean, I, like, you didn't like the film very much, but something like Brave, which tries to be a a little bit different to the standard fare. Um, you know, they get to make that if they make something like Cars 2, where the only reason behind it is, like, you know, it doesn't even matter if it makes its money back in mm. the cinema. They'll make a lot of money from it, you know, further down the line. Um, do you agree with the statement that no one ever really sets out to make a bad film? Uh, I'd say so, yeah, because, like, even, like, the closest thing you get for something like that is is people trying to make something like that aims for cult status. Something right. like Snakes on a Plane or the Grindhouse movies where they affect the uh, attributes of quote-unquote bad films. Mm-hmm. 
like you know the faux grindhouse aesthetic of something like I thought grindhouse the whole idea was bullshit <laughs> I think I would I was really excited when I heard that um, Tarantino and Rodrigo was going to make a grindhouse double bill but then when I found out it had a hundred million dollar budget and was backed by the Miramax guys I mean that was terrible imagine what that film would have been like if they would have given you know a shitty old camera and a crew of five to Tarantino yeah. and said there's 20 grand you've got four days turn something around if they'd really Roger Corman it up yeah if they actually made a grindhouse film because the thing is people who like went to see those films and liked it they've never seen a fucking grindhouse film <laughs> in their life and I'm not like a grindhouse connoisseur but no. Jesus Christ you know what I mean you know yeah they weren't films that were made for masses of money and then like they made them look shitty afterwards it's like, <laughs> yeah they had no money so they looked terrible but they had good ideas and then you, know, you sh- they shot a film on digital they said it in the modern day but they had cell phones and missing frames yeah from the film it was fucking idiotic yeah i think that shame on you two <laughs> but again there they're not trying they weren't trying to set out to make a bad film they were trying to make an affectionate homage it didn't work mm. you know in my opinion uh, and i'm guessing yours yeah. um it is right yeah yeah, so in those cases, people are setting out to make films that have the outward appearance and the aesthetics of films that were made under maybe adverse conditions, conditions and ended up being kind of sleazy and, and not especially good, but they're still trying to make films that are entertaining and mm-hmm. are good in that respect. Um, and, you know, I don't think... That I think that's the closest you get. I don't think anyone sets out to make a film that's boring or a horror film that's not scary or a comedy that's not funny. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all... I think, I'm pretty sure... I'd say that pretty much anyone who tries to make a film tries to make something that is, you know, that works. Um, the fact that they don't is not necessarily a reflection of their initial intent. Mm. It's too expensive and time-consuming a thing to do yeah to um you know to willfully make something that's no good at all yeah um yeah um there seems to be a bit of a thing at the minute doesn't there um a uh, kind of um is it a critical reappraisal or is it just uh good old fashioned enjoying um kind of reveling in in films uh, kind of shitness and there is a kind of a midnight movie uh, circuit i mean the midnight movie circuit originally came for stuff like um Night of the Living Dead, or mm. um, or like Pink Flamingos, or something, uh, or uh, El Topo. Whereas yeah. now the kind of midnight movie circuit is things like Birdemic the uh, and The Room, um, and things like. that. Do you think there's been a cultural shift? Do you think there's more of a, a, a camp appreciation of these things, or do you think that people are more cynical and like to uh, uh, laugh at other people's misfortune? Uh, I think there's been uh, a growth in that sort of kind of culture of people enjoying bad films. Ironically, mm-hmm. um, I think you know it, it probably the the genesis of this would be something like Mystery Science Theater three thousand, which was a television show built entirely on people you know ragging on terrible films mm-hmm. for and and therefore you know making them fun uh, for the people watching them. You know, uh, if you look at the list of films in the IMDb bottom 100, mm-hmm. I'd say about 70% of them are ones that appeared on Mystery Science Theatre 3000 and therefore people were exposed to them through that way. Um, and that has kind of permeated outwards. Mm-hmm. People kind of get together with friends, get a load of beers and like sit and uh, and watch a bad film. I did it last week with some friends. We had a double bill of Body Melt and, uh, and, and Puma Man. Uh, or Puma Man. Puma Man. Um, 
which was a lot of fun. The film, well, the, first, the body melt was fun because it's crazy, weird mm. Australian gore fest. But um, the uh, but you know, Puma Man's terrible. It's a very badly made film, but it's fun to watch with a group of people and kind of make fun of. Yeah. So I think uh, there's kind of been a gradual growth of that as as a as a thing, and also because you know midnight movies aren't don't really exist anymore. You'll get a midnight screening of you know the dark knight rises or the new twilight or something but like that it's all a, it's a promotional thing rather than a yeah, than a kind of uh, uh this subculture that's that's grown up out of people who want to see films with like-minded people yeah exactly so there's so there's a novelty value to the idea of going to a midnight screening of a film that's you know bad yeah. <laughs> um, in order to to kind of revel in how bad it is yeah. I think you can see that that kind of culture is best uh, demonstrated in best worst movie. The, yeah, uh, the film about Troll Two, which is a great documentary. Yeah, yeah. not a very good film. Yeah, it's, it's made by. Uh, for those who don't know, Troll Two is a how it's a sequel to the film Troll because they don't actually share anything in common. Um, a film made uh, in America by an Italian director for about three grand with mm. a dentist in the lead role and a yeah just a kind of act. yeah a rogues gallery of of uh um of terrible terrible actors in a film that makes no sense that revolves around goblins who live in a place called nilbog yeah which is goblin backwards uh fans uh who uh didn't pick up on that um and you know the goblins are vegetarians yeah. but they turn people into vegetables to eat them and it's, uh, I mean, that sounds absurd. <laughs> it is absurd, but everything about it is dreadful. But the the little kid who's in the film must be about 10, 11 in the film, grew up and made a documentary about it called Best Worst Movie, which is a lovely look at that um, uh, kind of culture of where uh, people are you know, trading off how bad a film is. Um, but the flip side of that, there's a great bit where the dentist, the lead character, is really carried away with, you know, this kind of newfound fame that he's in this terrible film and he goes to a screening in, like, Milton Keynes in England and there's, like, three people there mm. and it's really depressing. And then he goes to, like, these collector's fairs where people are queuing up to, you know, having a... Uh, and, you know, someone who played, like, 15th Ewok in Return of the Jedi to sign their thing above him. And But, you know, there is there is much to enjoy in those kind of films. I mm. think that, you know, you just have to be careful how ironic you are yeah, yeah. There's a there's a fine line between enjoying something and kind of uh, relentlessly just mocking it cruelly. Yeah. Well, if you want to see a film <laughs> that uh, segue um, that uh, that is you know it's terrible. Let's be honest. Um, in fact, it's the Citizen Kane of bad. No, it's the Vertigo <laughs> of uh, bad movies in this new post sight sound world. Yeah, in this post Citizen Kane being toppled in the t- in the poll world. Um, um, I'm introducing and hosting a screening of uh, Tommy Wiseau. 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 Uh, Wiseau. Wiseau. Tommy Wiseau's. Um, uh, demented masterpiece, um, The Room, at the Lantern Theatre in Sheffield on the... Hang on, let me look up the date that i really forgotten already. The 19th of October. And uh, if you're hearing this in time, please buy a ticket because it's very nearly sold out already. That is what people's appetite is like um, <laughs> to, um, you know, watch these films with like-minded individuals. Exactly. Uh, it's also hardly ever screened in Britain, so 
well in you know any kind of collective way yeah um so you know people have gone nuts for it and have uh have uh, booked up early so uh if you can come down and support tickets are available through the lantern theater's website just google it you'll find it um and yeah i hope to see some people down there and have a very nice time uh dressed in a tuxedo throwing a football around <laughs> and not hitting your wife <laughs> Um, <laughs> I mean that film is remarkable isn't it it uh, is it's quite um, spectacular I watched it in a double bill with Birdemic and in that setting Birdemic was really hard work mm. I mean on their own it'd be fine yeah um, I mean the room is yeah, it's quite something it kind of defies any logical explanation yeah. categorization it, it is beyond the realm of human understanding I think yeah. that film I think, I think the thing that's great about it in that regard is it's not only bad it's very earnest in it's badness yeah it's kind of you get the feeling that Tommy Wiseau is really trying to make you know what's it described? It's described as something like like Tennessee Williams or something. Isn't Tennessee that? Williams meets uh, R. Kelly's Trapped in the Closet. I <laughs> is the uh, the review from the Guardian that they so they yeah uh, it yeah. Um, so it's kind of like uh, it, so it's not you don't get the feeling that it's it's arch or there's a joke. It's just very straight faced, mm. which makes you know the the moments that are hilarious <laughs> such as um it, him going to that flower shop for that completely pointless mm. scene where he just says hi to the dog and then walks mm. out or um when like, they when they play american football in the alley in tuxedos yeah, really, um, really closely together um they're about three feet apart or my favorite moment possibly in any film ever which is him walking up the stairs going, I did not hit her. I did not. <laughs> oh, hi, Mark. <laughs> that is a very good uh, impersonation. That's masterful. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, that's one which um, is baffling because, I mean, he put it out seriously. It got derided and, 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 and it's a success. I mean, it's, mm. it's you know, um, I mean, I don't think he he's going to retire from it. it allegedly, cost a, a fair bit of money of his yeah. own money, um, but I mean, it's been a success of sorts. And but then now he's claiming it was an intentional comedy, <laughs> and you know that's bullshit. No yeah. one puts that kind of sex scene, sex scenes, numerous sex scenes, numerous sex scenes. Um, oh God, I've just remembered, to R and B slow jams <laughs> to watch a kind of uh, well, a kind of lifeless, kind of pale. Eastern European arse, arse, just kind of <laughs> awkwardly rubbing against a kind of um, someone who's really not into it, mm. but he's being paid to be there, so they're kind of into it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, that made it sound a little bit wrong. Um, so I think that's about all there is to say about bad films for this for this little mini sode. Yes. Um, so yeah, we'll be back with um, I don't know something after this. Uh, who knows? <laughs> um, yeah. Um, see you later. Bye. Bye. <laughs>